You're listening to Building the Broncos with Nick Kendall and Carl Dummler, Broncos country's leading draft and scouting analysts. Get on over to milehighhuddle.com to sound off on all things Broncos. Hello there, Broncos country, and it is once again time for another episode of Building the Broncos. I am your host, Carl Dummler, and with me as always, I have my co-host and good friend, Mr. Nick Kendall. Nick, how goes it out there in Iowa? Hey, it's going pretty well. It looks like the weather's going to not turn as badly as they said, although I'm from the Quad Cities originally, so they really do not need that flooding. So hopefully the, the rain can hold off for a little bit longer. Well, we also have a, a great guest for you, all of you Bronco fans out there today. And we have Scott Doctorman coming on to our show. And, and Scott covers the, the Iowa Hawkeyes football program for The Athletic and, and really has his pulse on, on the program as much as anyone in the industry. And, and so we're really, really excited to have him on the show to especially talk about our, our new first-round pick, Noah Fant, the, the new shiny toy for the Broncos offense and just get his perspective of his time there at Iowa and, and what he's going to be bringing to the Broncos. But, but Scott, thanks for coming on the show today. Hey, I'm glad to be on with you guys. I, I'm really excited. And a props to you for calling out that Dem- the Denver Broncos would be selecting Noah Fant. I think you did have him at 10 originally, but, I mean, getting him at 20, even better value. And I think you also called out Hawkinson to Detroit at 8. Yeah, I got kind of lucky there. I mean, really, it was just about finding the uh, the right fit for those teams and kind of that proximity of where that you might think they might be picked. And and really, there were about four, four or five teams I thought from seven to twelve that had a, had a real good chance of uh, grabbing either one of those tight ends. But I thought based on what those teams need, that that's those were the perfect spots. I thought Hawkinson needed to go to Detroit. They need to set a tone and image. He's that type of a player, you know, an inline blocker, but also, you know, good on third down. They're terrible third down passing team last year. And then, of course, Noah Fant, uh, as you guys know, Denver wasn't was a pretty good uh you know, running team last year. I think they were fourth in the NFL. But uh, so he is, even though he's a good blocker, not necessarily a great blocker, but they can use him more to, to stretch the field and, and be that kind of player that I think uh, that Denver could really use. So I, I was I was happy that both of them went to good spots where I think they'll both be utilized effectively. And I got to ask, do you have next week's Powerball numbers? <laughs> I wish. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe I maybe I'd start my own draft website if I hit the hit the lottery and uh, hire you guys to join. Me. Hey, that's oh numbers we'll, we'll open. Take that. <laughs> 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 all right. Well, we want to make sure that you can also uh, find all of us guys on on Twitter. You can find me at Carl Dumbler MHH, and of course you can find Nick at Nick Kendall MHH. And Scott, where can where can our fans find all of your work? Yeah, I'm at The Athletic, um, and so uh, The Athletic CFB Twitter handle. My Twitter handle is at Scott Doctorman, and also uh, you could find me on – yeah, uh, you know, on the the athletics college football page, most of the time under the Iowa tab, we've, we've got tabs for oh, I don't know, probably forty forty five different teams. So uh, that's where most of my work is published. So yeah, please do please subscribe to the athletic. I think we're uh, we're kind of forming this uh, comprehensive website that hits every major sport uh, from college football to the NHL to Major League Baseball. So it's uh, been great to be a part of it. We have three hundred writers roughly now. Yeah, I, I love The Athletic. I'm subscribed to The Athletic. Uh, it's one of the few websites that I, I was like, that's worth the money. 
and uh, you guys produce great work out there. So, but we also want to let you know you can follow the podcast Twitter account at BTB Football Pod, and make sure you subscribe to our show and, and leave us a rating as we value your, your input. You can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and even that of YouTube. Also, make sure you head on over to Mile High Huddle, an affiliate of the 24-7 Sports and the CBS Sports Digital. Find ours and our co-writers' articles and all things pertaining to your Denver Broncos. And also, if you enjoy our show, make sure you head on over and leave us a five-star rating on iTunes, where Building the Broncos along with Huddle Up are found under the Huddle Up podcast. This podcast is powered by Overtime Media. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Well, like we said, we're, we're excited to have you on here, Scott, to talk about Noah Fantas. Uh, I mean, three years there at Iowa, one of the, the more uh, impressive weapons in, in all of college football this last year. I mean, you're looking at a guy with four or five speed, uh, height, strength, ability in the red zone, just a little bit of everything that you want in a tight end position. Uh, and, and I guess let, let's just start with who he is as a player. What were some strengths of his game and what are some weaknesses when, when it comes to what he really needs to work on, if he's going to become that great all around tight end in the NFL? Yeah. I mean, let's start with his strengths. I mean, athletically, I don't think that Iowa's had a tight end like him in, uh, you know, and really in the 20 years under Kirk Ferentz, probably the closest one athletically is uh, Dallas Clark back in 2002, because, you know, except Noah has that just beautiful blend of, He's 6'5", 250, can run 4'5", can, you know, agility-wise is as good or better than anybody. So he's just got that perfect blend for what you want out of that position group. And then how does that translate on the field? Well, it, when you when you see him try to go, there very rarely were guys going one-on-one with him. Uh, you, a linebacker, would that would be a death sentence, and then a safety would be too small. So uh, really, if, if especially if you went vertical with him, uh, it was it was a very much a mismatch. I think we saw that a lot against Indiana, uh, you know, a game where both he and TJ Hawkinson had 100 yards and two touchdowns, uh, that it was just impossible for a safety or a linebacker to keep up with him. But, uh, you know, and then as far as there's only uh, – there's nobody better in the country when it came to the red zone. I mean, he had 21 targets, 15 catches, 12 of which were uh, touchdowns, which was the best mark in the country the last two years. So uh, when he's in the red zone, he's a mismatch that Iowa did not exploit, frankly, nearly enough. Uh, there was a couple of, there was one game in particular, Wisconsin, 
where he's out on an island by himself uh, with a with a defensive back one on one, and I'm thinking just throw it to him. You know, you could just see it. Just you know, he, you know, he could run a slant or a go either one on, you know, a fade in the back of the end zone and it would have been six and instead Iowa didn't. And I didn't think they used him effectively enough in that regard. Now on the, on the flip side, I think he does have some weaknesses that need to be shored up. And uh, among those, I think is his pass catching a little bit. I, I mean, I, I look at, you know, a lot of times he was catching passes, you know, he wasn't high pointing the ball as much as he should uh, catches passes near his hip. Sometimes he was dropping passes. There were two, well, actually three drops that were really kind of, uh, you know, one wasn't really critical, but what it was important, that was right. I think the second play of the season this year, uh, you know, against Northern Illinois, he was wide open and he drops a, a long pass that would have been a touchdown for sure. Uh, in 2017, he had two critical drops, one against Wisconsin, where uh, Iowa's offense was just battered bloody, but they were all, they're still in the game at that point, down three points, and he, he kind of gained some separation from uh, the, the, the corner or, or the safety, I should say. And he, and he dropped a pass that was wide open. The next play, they fumble, and Wisconsin returns it for a touchdown, and the game's over. And then against Wisconsin in an overtime game, he drops it off a stick route. Um, you know, ball hit him in the hands and just fell. He just didn't look it all the way through. So I think in some ways his pass-catching ability can be improved better with the Denver Broncos than that the university of Iowa, I think they'll have a more veteran, you know, I'm sure he'll work with the wide receivers coach and it's going to be a lot of hand eye coordination. It's going to be a little bit more. Uh, and, and I think he can get better in that regard. I don't think this is something that you just live with. So I would put that as, as probably his top, you know, it's probably his top issue. And then, uh, you know, as far as blocking, I think that was an, you know, I, th- I think people gave him an unfair rap. He was pretty good as a blocker. It was just he was next to one of the best tight end blocking tight ends I've ever seen in TJ Hawkinson. So I think he'll be good. Well, he won't be able to necessarily blow guys off the line of scrimmage the way Hawkinson does, but he'll get in front of them. He'll displace them a little bit and, and, uh, you know, help the running game in that regard. And, and, uh, you know, another kind of unfair criticism I've seen of him is lacking uh, broken tackles. Well, he didn't have to break very many tackles when he got past the secondary. So I didn't really think that was a, a truthful, uh, I thought that was more of an unfair jab at him. So if I was to really be either critical or areas where I think he needs to improve is I do think, yeah, he needs to get a little bit better as a blocker, but I think, you know, getting with the right, uh, wide receivers coach, tight ends coach to really work on catching the ball consistently. I think if he can do that, you know, he can realize his potential. Do you have any concerns about his contested catch ability? It's kind of a little bit of a, for me at least, an OJ Howard thing where, you know, when the Crimson Tide were getting the ball to OJ Howard, you know what? He was wide open. There's not many chances where the quarterback, you know, whether it be the offensive system or whatever, was giving him a chance to make those contested catches. And that's kind of like what I saw with Fant as well. I mean, how many chances did he actually get to make those contested catches? You know, there's questions about his toughness. Sometimes he can get a little bit displaced when he's kind of running over the middle with linebackers kind of clutching him out of the point of attack, so to speak. But is that a concern with you, the contested catch ability, or is it just something that it's kind of a, a wait and see because we didn't really get a chance to see it so much at Iowa? 
I, I would wait and see a little bit more on this. This is where I thought Iowa really failed and failed Noah Fant more than anything else was he had so many with that kind of vertical and that kind of ability, they should have put him up one-on-one in several situations, especially near the goal line, but also out in space where he can make a play on the ball. And they didn't allow him to do that very often. And, and when he got into third down situations, I mean, TJ Hawkinson was really good. I mean, I think he had one drop all year and uh you know so it's hard to blame him and you know the other part was you know Iowa only had I think it was 62 percent of its plays with two tight ends on the field some of which weren't including Fant and he played you know 200 and some odd snaps less than TJ Hawkinson and that was due not to his ability or anything he did it was Iowa's offense so I don't see him as a major you know, problem in this area. As far as contested catches go, I'm sure Denver is going to give him that opportunity because the windows are so small. So I want to see how his hand-eye coordination, his hand strength, uh, how that comes to play when he has uh, a a different, more up-to-date offensive system that allows him to make plays on the ball. Because I don't know that we know that answer based on what we saw at Iowa. For sure. And speaking about, you know, what we saw at Iowa, I feel like a lot of fans this past year following the Iowa Hawkeyes were a little bit, I feel like Fant didn't reach the level of expectations many had for him. Kind of Hawkinson filled in some of that production void that many were expecting with Fant. Would you say that's more of a, an offensive system failure or was it play calling? Is it the quarterback maybe being a little bit conservative throwing when they're throwing at the Fant? lack of outside weapons to create space out there. I mean, there's also some talk that he might have had a concussion this year at that end around against Minnesota, had a hip issue, I believe, against UNI. What do you think the main issue is that, I mean, he still had a good statistical year, make no mistake about it, and then he's playing with the number eight overall pick tight end mm-hmm. across from him. So there's, I mean, there's only so many passes to go around in that regard, but I mean, still 39 receptions, 519 yards, and seven touchdowns, nothing to nothing to laugh at. But uh, what do you think about the the reason is that he didn't really live up to the the heightened expectations that many had to him this year? I think it had to do, let's start with Iowa's offense. I mean, Iowa is kind of, it's still trying to get out of that, uh, you know, that foundation that it just is relentlessly sticking to. And that is inline tight end, move tight end, and it just doesn't allow for a lot of variation from that. Now, you know, they, again, they did increase the the number of snaps that the two tight ends were on the field at to, you know, past sixty percent, but it, but with you, you have two first round draft picks, you've got to get them out there eighty, and that became a major sticking point throughout the season. A lot, a lot of times for his family on social media, and uh, Noah was very up. You, you could tell he was upset. I think fans were un- uncertain because at wide receiver, there was certainly not equal to the level of talent there was a tight end. So, uh, you know, he played a lot of move tight end sometimes in the slot, but not very, not enough. And so I'm going to, I'm going to go with a lot of those issues related to Iowa and I've called them out for it, you know, against uh, Northwestern, especially, uh, you know, he only played nine plays in the second half and he was fine. He was healthy. Uh, so that I think, you know, I, I'd feel secure in saying that there was a little bit of a disagreement between he and offensive coordinator Brian Ferentz, which kind of allowed that. Now, that's not the entire reason, though. I mean, yeah, injuries were a factor. He hurt his hip against Northern Iowa, but he played the next week against uh, Wisconsin and caught two touchdown passes. Uh, you know, he did have a concussion against uh, Minnesota. Um, he wasn't allowed to, pl- to even practice until the Friday before the Indiana game. And the Indiana game, he had 100 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, probably should not have played, though. That was uh, That was something that he mentioned later on. The emergence of T.J. Hawkinson, though, you know, you cannot discount. Um, and 
that there's only one football and Iowa's married to the running game. So, uh, you've, you've got to account for that. And Hawkinson is, uh, you know, if there was anybody better than Fant in the country, it was, it was Hawkinson. And I think they're both, uh, different types of tight ends, but, you know, certainly TJ Hawkinson was the more consistent blocker, a dominant blocker at times. Fant was very good, uh, but he's more of an inline guy. And then on third downs, Nobody was better, you know, either stretching the field or uh, making uh, contested catches or getting first downs than than TJ Hawkinson. In fact, his, he had seven catches of 25 plus yards on third down alone. So that was really hard. But uh, but there was a lot of attention on Fant, which is why the offensive, uh, you know, why, why the the coaches in the league voted him first team over TJ Hawkinson. Um, there there have been multiple times, and you know, the only touchdown Iowa scored against Northwestern. Three different defenders went with Fant, and none of them went with uh, with Amir Smith Marset on a touchdown route. So he had commanded attention on each and every snap because athletically he was superior to whoever was on the field. So I think I would blame Iowa for not getting him on the field enough. Uh, he's you know the statistics weren't bad. They should have been more. There should have been at least probably ten more catches. They should have hit uh, you know and 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 his quarterback at times was consistent. Uh, when it, at Penn State, he didn't get a, even a target until the fourth quarter. I remember tweeting during that game, oh, you know, your first-round draft pick is running wild across the middle of the field and wide open, and your quarterback's not looking at him. That's that's a problem. So I think in some ways he he may have contributed a little bit, but I would blame everybody else around him, not Noah Fand. Yeah, for sure. And I want to touch on one of your points you brought up there about, you know, opposing defensive coordinators really, I mean, to me, for my, I didn't have access to the all 22 or anything, but it seemed to me that Noah Fant was still the the guy that defensive coordinators were planning against where, I mean, obviously Hawkinson's a great player. He's going to get his still, but it looked like to me that opposing defensive coordinators were making it that, you know, Noah Fant, that is the guy that is the one that we have to watch out for, whether it be double teams, really being physical with him when he's getting off the line of scrimmage, making sure that he doesn't get a clean release or anything like that is that what you saw as well because I mean obviously Hawkinson went eight overall probably the more the more complete tight end not probably the more complete tight end but I would argue that as far as what opened up the offense for the Hawkeyes it might have been at least in the passing game at least it might have been Fant yeah you're right absolutely because there you did see that a lot I think you know and maybe one of the scheme fits that worked for them was a lot of times they used him in motion off the line of scrimmage so he didn't get jammed as much uh but you could tell the defenses were very concerned about him because he was the one player on the field that could beat you. Now Hawkinson emerged as that threat midway through the season, but everybody already had a book on, on Fant. He had 11 touchdown passes as a sophomore and a lot of them were, were long ranging uh, touchdown passes, you know, either on fade routes or crossing routes or what have you. So everybody had the book on Fant. They knew that he was a difficult matchup. So they made sure we're not going to let him beat you. You know, we'll let the tight end who catches the ball for the first down. Then, I don't think it wasn't until probably November that everybody realized, you know, TJ Hawkins is really good too. So, uh, so I think that was probably part of it at that point was just defenses, you know, gearing up for Fant. You know, he, I still think that Iowa let a lot of opportunities go with him. Uh, Iowa didn't allow him to make plays, which I, I kind of use this comparison. And in basketball, if you've got a guy like that, uh, if you got two of the best three small forwards in the big 10, they're going to find a way to get them on the court at the same time. Iowa didn't do that enough. You know, I thought they should have been on the fo- on the field together 80% of the time. If that means making Noah Fant play the X once in a while, do it. If that means the slot, do it. 
they just didn't do it enough. So, uh, and I think defensive coordinators were very much thankful for that, uh, especially in against Northwestern and and probably uh, Penn State because Iowa lost four very close games that he could have tipped the, the game in their balance. For sure. And now talking about Iowa, he's definitely a program that's starting to get the reputation for being tight end you and, you know, obviously sending a lot of good players to the NFL. However, typically for seeing tight ends in the NFL drafted first round or not, it takes, you know, two, three seasons for tight ends to really start to make a, an impact, you know, statistical impact. Is there something that you could say might be a little bit different there considering he's coming from Iowa? It's not like Evan Ingram coming from Ole Miss or David Njoku coming from Miami where Noah Fant and TJ Hawkinson, but specifically Noah Fant is going to be more ready to make a year one impact compared to the average tight end drafted into the NFL. Without a doubt. I mean, I think you, you look at uh, George Kittle and kind of use that as a template. And, and, but I, I think Noah Fant's a little bit better athlete. George is my, probably my favorite player I've ever covered, the most interesting guy I've ever met. But I, I would say that, uh, you know, Noah understands how to block in a zone blocking scheme, or he understands how to put his fist in the ground, come off the ball with leverage, block the right way. A lot of tight ends, especially pass catchers in college, are uh, off the line of scrimmage. They're flexed. You know, they don't really block other than get in front of a guy and try to push him. So he's going to be able to walk in and understand the concepts that are being taught with him in the running game, whereas uh, in a David Njoku, for instance, uh, you know, has struggled a little bit with that. You know, athletically, David Njoku's off the charts, but he's not quite uh, – but Fant has, uh, you know, that on top of him. Plus uh, – he can, you know, he can make those catches that you need him to. He, you can move him around. I mean, you know, not knowing totally Denver's tight end situation, but Jeff Herman sounds like he could probably still be a stable force at as the inline blocker. And it seems like that's where Big Ten tight ends go to die is Denver. But yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> Jake Butt, Troy Fumagalli, yeah. all these guys. But I do think that uh, you know he he's able to to make. To, to do what you need him to do, if that's a secondary tight end early till he gets acclimated to the offense by midseason, could probably take another step. So, yeah, I think he's, uh, you know, he's by coming from Iowa, knowing how to block, I think he's more ready made than a lot of other tight ends coming out of college. All right, you, you're you talking. Could, about, oh, sorry, go ahead, Carl. Well, you you'd mentioned earlier about picking a fan to come to the Broncos. What what was it really that you liked about that fit for the Broncos? You know, I, I think, you know, starting off, uh, you know, I, I think you looked at what Denver's num- numbers were with Hearman, you know, for instance, you know, what, 31 catches, 9.1 yards per catch and only two touchdowns at, out of that position. You need to get more than that. And then you look at the red zone efficiency that Noah Fant was able to bring to Iowa and what Denver didn't have with, K- you know, it's, it's Case Keenum, but, but certainly when you're 29th in red zone completion percentage and 31, 31st and uh, third down passes turning into first downs, you need yeah, somebody who's really capable, especially in the red zone. And that's what fan is. I mean, is in, you know, over two years, you know, in the red zone, his 57.1% touchdown rate was the best in the country, you know, regardless of tight end or, or wide receiver. So I, I think when you're trying to match up, okay, you've got a, good, a guy who's great in the red zone or with a team that's not great in the red zone. I think that's just really helpful for, for what the Broncos are. And then also I, I would say that, uh, you know, Denver, the fact that Denver doesn't necessarily need uh, a power block or a TJ Hawkinson, you know, by running what 4.9 yards per carry that I think that uh, that allows him to kind of 
become that move tight end, that that threat vertically that you can use, which would actually help the, the offense rather than force him, hey, we really need you to, to block and block a lot right away. I think it allows him to grow as, as a receiver first, then kind of work his way into becoming a full service tight end in the blocking capacity. I think if it was the same system that we had last year, I would not like this pick for the Broncos. You had talked about Case Keenum just not being very good about getting the ball to the tight end. Uh, he's just he was not good over the middle. I mean, there, there's no getting around that. He hated throwing over the middle. Uh, I, I've watched the all 22 for the Broncos, and uh, their their slot receiver was open about half the time, and he just would never even look that way. But now with Joe Flacco, with Scangarello as the the coordinator who loves that kind of offense that you build around a tight end that you scheme them open. And I mean, then they go out and draft a quarterback and, and Drew Locke, who actually had a pretty good season with his tight end in mm. oh, yeah. uh, Albert Okerwood. I, I can't even say that name. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. But I mean, he had 43 receptions this last year, almost 500 yards. And, and so you can see he loves the tight end position as well. And, and so I feel like they have quarterbacks, they have a system that's really built to have a tight end like Noah Fant to, to actually come out and be an impact player day one. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, you again, you could do so many different things with them, you know, even more so than Hawkinson, who I think Hawkinson is a pure tight end. That's exactly what you want. But with Fant, hey, you know, let's let's split them out wide. Let's put them in motion. Let's put them in the slot. Let's, you know, try to isolate some of those matchups and exploit the defense and what they're trying to do. And I think that's going to be really smart. And I remember Flacco, you know, when he had Dennis Pitta in, in Baltimore, I mean, he did a really nice job of getting him the ball. Uh, they didn't have necessarily fantastic receivers in Baltimore while he was there. But, um, you know, so I think he could develop a relationship with Flacco and then also with, with Drew Locke. I think Drew was, you know, a little, uh, you know, obviously he was, uh, you know, underdrafted. I mean, you know, I think pe- most people thought he was a first rounder to sort of get him in the second round and trade up to do it was, it was a smart move. So I think that's, uh, you know, I think they all can kind of collectively grow. So I, you know, I'm not say- suggesting Noah Fan's going to be a pro bowler this first year or anything, but I think he's going to be an important role player and uh, as the season progresses I can see him getting better he was that way uh, I think his sophomore year at Iowa where he you know his first five or six games he was a good player but in his last five or six games uh, at Iowa he was probably the best in his at his position in the country and before we wrap up Noah Fant here, I've heard seen him compared to the likes of like Eric Ebron or Jared Cook. And those guys, you know, been productive receiving tight ends, but probably you want a little bit more for a first round pick. You know, granted, tight ends a devalued position in the NFL compared to wide receiver, offensive line, pass rushers, et cetera. What can make Noah Fant a better player than an Eric Ebron or a Jared Cook and maybe even a better player than TJ Hawkinson down the road? Well, that that's that remains to be seen. I mean, you know, Eric Ebron had some, uh, you know, I mean, physically they're similar in some ways, and so I could see the comparison. And I was talking to uh, somebody last week about the with the Lions, and that was a big concern, you know, about T.J. Hawkinson. I said, look, if you would have drafted Noah Fant, then I can understand some of the parallels there, and it's just from an ab- ability standpoint. And then, uh, you know, and I, I wasn't in any way, shape, or form trying to say T.J. Hawkinson's better but just, okay, athletically, they're about the same. No, I, I think one of the things that I've seen out of Noah Fan is you've really got a, a committed guy. He's very uh, – he is team-oriented. Um, he's very polished as well. I mean, very few 
players I've encountered at Iowa just have a carry themselves with a charisma and it's a confidence, but it's not an ego thing, but just carry themselves in a, in a way where, you know, he blends in well with his teammates. Uh, he's very articulate. I think he's going to be, you know, he's going to be able to walk in the door and really kind of carry, carry himself. I, I covered the chiefs for six years. I'm not saying he's Tony Gonzalez, but he has that same kind of aura, uh, hmm. pro- probably that same type of, ability can he transition from college to pro yeah i'm not going there yet you know that, <laughs> you know compare him to the greatest of all time or yeah. one of the few <laughs> no but you know but as far as tj hawkinson goes i think they're it's going to be a really interesting parallel track that they're going to be on i mean they competed with each other at iowa they weren't necessarily best friends but they were friendly uh you know and they were you know, competitive all the way through the draft as far as who was going to get drafted by whom. And, you know, in the combine, their their numbers were really similar and, you know, in, in a lot of areas. So I don't know if I can make a prediction on who will be better. What I will say is if Noah Fant can become more consistent catching the ball, if he can find, you know, the nuance of route running and, and get better at that within a year or two, he's going to be in the Pro Bowl. I think he's that good. Um uh, you know, is he going to be better than Hawkinson? I don't know. I mean, Hawkinson could be there too. Yeah. And, and then, yeah. And then you had George Kittle. I mean, you know, 2016 Iowa could have been the, one of the greatest tight end rooms of all time, which we wow. certainly did not see it at the time. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, I, I don't know if the, you know, but I do think uh, highly enough of Fant. I don't think he's a bust. I don't think he's Eric Ebron. He's not the type that's going to, that's going to just kind of shut down or quit or do anything like that. So I, I would say, uh, you've got at minimum a pretty good floor on him. I think Hawkinson's floor is higher, but I think Fant's uh, ceiling is higher than than Hawkinson just because of his athletic ability. Absolutely. Well, we've been talking Noah Fant here, but we're going to take a quick break and we're going to have Scott back on to talk a few more questions as it related to the Denver Broncos. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Alrighty, and we're back on Building the Broncos podcast with Scott Docterman, who covers the Iowa Hawkeyes for The Athletic. And, you know, you're a Bears fan, Scott. You've been covering <laughs> the Hawkeyes. So I got a couple more questions in here for you. I originally wanted to do Noah Fant-centric podcasts. We did spend a majority of the time, but got to ask you about Josie Jewell in year two. You know, he had a solid year one for the Broncos, although somewhat limited, you know, playing. He came in for Brandon Marshall, who had some injuries. But the Broncos, many people thought they'd go with a wide rec- or a linebacker early in the draft. You know, Devin White, Devin Bush, and... And they fooled everybody and didn't even draft a single true off-ball linebacker. Maybe Justin Hollins will be one. We'll, we'll see what he does when he comes in. But thoughts on Josie Jewell's first year and uh, what he's going to be bringing year two because he's a guy that's projected to be a starter right now. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I've seen, I saw a lot of the, those projections, whether or not they would try to get, say, Devin Bush at 10, and instead they traded back to get Fant. And, and uh, you know, with Josie Jewell, he doesn't blow you away athletically. You know, he's better than what he was when he first came in. In fact, at Iowa, uh, Kirk Ferentz said when, you know, when they first picked him up, which was right at the end of the, the uh, uh, recruiting period, was, at well, at worst case scenario, he'll be a fullback, you know. And, and really it's about lateral movement as to whether or not you're going to be a fullback or a linebacker at Iowa. And, I, and in his case – he is athletically limited, especially at that level. And, and at times, uh, if he's on one-on-one with a tight end or a receiver or even a running back, that's not a winnable matchup for him in, in space. He's just not quite as you know, quick as a lot of uh, you know, the, the, those players. And I, I think you're asking him to do something that he is not necessarily not capable of doing, but I think you know, you're not putting him in a very good position and therefore not putting your defense in a good position. Now, at Iowa, it's almost exclusively zone coverage, except when you're on the goal line. They don't run any cover, you know, zero, very, very little cover one. So I think it, you know, what Denver could do to help him, and I, and I wonder about this with Vic Fangio if he'll implement this, is you know, allow him to play more zone coverage, you know, in that drop zone, maybe by the tight end. If he can play zone coverage or allowed to do that, then I think that mitigates most of his liabilities in, in the against the path and he is a very good you know tackler he's great he's a great person to have on your team because he provides instant accountability you have to perform when he's there uh he's just not going to allow anybody to, to slack off and and you need those guys even if they're not necessarily your best players or best athletes but you need those players to build in that accountability so i think if if vic fangio allows him to play more of his own coverage if that's how he incorporates it and that's kind of how the bears worked it then i think that will enable him to um, you know, again, kind of shield some of his deficiencies and allow him to succeed. And if that's the case, you know, inside linebacker is a position where you can get by with a good player. You don't necessarily need a great one. And and I think in Josie's case, that would allow him to, you know, become you know a net positive. And then it's up to Von Miller, Bradley Chubb, and and the rest of the defense to kind of make the big plays. Yeah, that was something I. Definitely emphasized after the Broncos drafted Josie Jewell and constantly saw, hey, Josie Jewell was, I think, the number one highest graded pro football focus coverage linebacker in the entire draft. And, you know, that's obviously you got to get a little bit excited about that. But in context to what he was asked to do and coming to what I or what the Broncos were doing last year, asking him to play a lot more man coverage against tight ends or running backs did not see that pro football focus grade carrying over and turns out that that was the case in the end so hopefully a little bit more zone coverage with Fangio coming over which does seem like that that's what they'll be bringing over more cover two concepts will help Josie Jewell in pass coverage and the linebackers in general Todd Davis as well but you're a Bears fan correct Scott I I feel like listening to your podcast you've always been a you got Mark with the Packers and you with the Bears (laughs) yeah we battle each other quite frequently and uh yeah so I I I appreciate the entire NFL I watch it all but uh yeah I've been a Bears fan for about 40 years so I'm curious about your thoughts. I mean, obviously the Broncos bringing over Vic Fangio, the new head coach of the Denver Broncos, a different, definite, you know, everybody's saying the right buzzwords right now, culture changer, accountability, everybody's showing up five minutes early for the, for the meetings, you know, all that stuff that you want to hear talk is cheap before any, anybody's even played a snap, but I'm curious about your thoughts about Vic Fangio's time in Chicago, what he did to turn around that defense, obviously, 
great players to make great coaches and bring it over like a Cleo Mack and adding some of that talent there has helped him a lot. But Vic Fangio, he's a guy that you've kind of gotten to know from where you're standing over the past couple of years in the Bears and what he's bringing to Denver. You know, he brought an accountability that the Bears needed because defensively under Mark Tressman, that was an embarrassment. Uh, I remember back to back, I think it was a, it was a Sunday night game against Green Bay where they allowed 42 points in the first half and then and ended up giving up more than 50 and did it the same thing the next week or the week before against New England. And I just thought, you know, with the Bears image, the, what, the way the Bears, uh, the history of the Bears, that was um, – not only an embarrassment, but that was uh, fireable, instantly fireable because, you know, the Bears have that tradition where it's like, well, you know, they do lose from, you know, more than we want, but at least play good defense. And, and what Vic Fangio did was, you know, bringing in that four, that three, four, you know, which obviously changes down in distance, but uh, it, it kind of, he brought, you could see a more of a disciplined front. You know, there were guys they traded for, guys they brought in, but you could see that, uh, that there was more discipline with what that was. You know, Akeem Hicks was a, was, became a very good player. He was a good player, but I think he's a better player because of him. Uh, the rotations up front were are, have been healthy for uh, for Chicago. They've, you know, I, I don't know. They rotated six guys probably up front. You know, that's a, you know, primarily just tie up the blockers and allow the the pass rushers to go. But you know, he's gotten some good. He got some good work out of uh, Leonard Floyd, who's kind of one of those. Yeah, I think the Bears just picked up his fifth year option. He's probably one of those. Well, do you or don't you, guys? But uh, you know, certainly he. You know, whether it's you know Khalil Mack's uh, abilities, which we all know. Uh, combined with the scheme, he was just he was terrific. And and they've seemed to get they've gotten a lot out of defensive backs that not necessarily people expected a lot out of Adrian Amos just left and went to the Green Bay Packers, but uh, was very good as a safety and, and you know, Eddie Jackson has done a really nice job, a mid-level draft pick. So they've been able to take a lot of those mid draft picks and turn them into to key uh, contributors on the defense. So I, I expect him to be that way. That was one of the, you know, when uh, John Fox was let go that he was, the one I think everybody was excited to keep, you know, not necessarily Buddy Ryan situation revisited in the early eighties, but certainly he had the defense going in the right direction. And after where it was, uh, it was sorely needed. So I think he's going to build in a lot of those things. Um, I'm anxious to see what the offense does. Of course, I, there's a lot of room to grow there for Denver, but uh, you know, that's, that's your more your guys area than mine, but, but unfortunately, I do, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> having to watch the Hawkeyes inconsistencies on offense, which I mean, not terrible, but it's, with the Broncos, especially coming off the Peyton Manning years has been a transition. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Scott. Well, thank you very much for your time coming on here today. Do you have anything you want to promote before we uh, get you on out of here? Well, you know, I, I really appreciate the opportunity to join you on this podcast. It'll be fun. And uh, I've always enjoyed my days when I when I covered the Chiefs and going to Denver. And back in the early 2000s, it was quite fun. And, uh, you know, some great battles there with Shanahan and uh, Dick Vermeil. So, uh, again, thanks so much for allowing me to, to join your podcast and, and uh, hope to, you know, see some improvements out of Josie Jewell in year two. Yeah, and we're looking forward to have you on next year when the Broncos take uh, Tristan Wirfs. First overall <laughs> in top five. Well, you, maybe you don't want to draft there, but uh, yeah, nah, <laughs> you know, it's kind of a double-edged sword with running a Denver Broncos draft podcast. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's Alaric Jackson instead. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. For sure. All right. Well, thank you very much. And I think you're off to talk with Kirk Ferentz tonight. <laughs>
Yeah, yeah, we've got our final television show tonight, uh, the on, I- on Iowa Live on KCRG, uh, in, you know, the ABC affiliate. It, we have a, a pretty much an hour with Kirk Ferentz going over the spring and other topics. So, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be good to catch up with him before there's radio silence for over the next few months. Uh, yeah, but you'll be there to fill the airwaves. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> All right, so. well, thank you very much, and we'll talk to you again soon. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All righty, and that was Scott Docterman with The Athletic covering the Iowa Hawkeyes and been listening to him for a few years now, seen his work on The Athletic and was excited to get on on the podcast. Carl, what were your general takeaways from the interview? Well, I I think it's a lot of uh, just securing my thoughts, especially on Noah Fant. Uh, I mean, we we talked about it a little bit of uh, there might not have been anybody more happy of, of the Noah fan pick than Scangarello. And I mean, just that, that fit of knowing this is that kind of guy you really needed to add to this offensive sk- uh, system. And so then to hear him talk about that too, of I think he's a great fit for the system and what they need of uh, being that red zone threat, being that field stretcher and, and also just securing some thoughts on, I, I think like he said that Fant has been judged wrong on a lot of things or judged not properly considering some of the things that were, I mean, having TJ Hawkins the next to him. Well, yeah, most every tight end out there is going to look like a really bad blocker compared to him. But when I watch Fant and you focus in on him and him alone, you sit there and say, well, this guy's actually doing some pretty good work out there. He's not just a receiving threat. I mean, you watch Evan Ingram and you're going, this guy's just a glorified receiver. You, you don't want this guy setting your edge where, Noah Phantom sitting there saying, yeah, I, I could see him setting the edge and being okay with it. I mean, again, he's not perfect at it, but he, he's not bottom five in the league either. <laughs> and and so that, that's, that's nice to hear some of my own thoughts kind of really being secured in a guy that's watched this guy for three straight years and, and really seen what he brings to the table. And, and again, also just, I don't know if he was that great fit with Iowa and what they were wanting to do with their system. They do really seem to appreciate more of those inline tight ends like a TJ Hawkinson. And, yeah. and so Fant, it's kind of one of those things. He's one of those tight ends. You have to know how to use them. If you don't have a plan, it's not going to end well. I mean, what did Skangarillo say to him as soon as he was drafted? It's about the system. The right, fit. Yeah, it is. It is. And so, I mean, that's why TJ Hawkinson, I understand why he went first before Fant, because he is a better fit. I mean, every team needs a a TJ Hawkinson. I mean, you get a guy like that and you're just, I mean, he's a plug and play. You put him in your starting offense. He is a receiving threat. He's a blocking threat. He does a little bit of everything that you want. So it makes sense. But Fant, I do feel like if he's in that right system, which I do think the Broncos are that right system, that he could actually be the more productive player of the two. Yeah, and for me, I mean, it definitely does validate a lot of my opinions of Fant as well. Scott dropping a lot of good knowledge of specifics as far as the statistical output of the both the Broncos and Iowa, but Fant being a guy who, you know, the catching ability is sometimes a concern. And, you know, as much as Broncos country or Demarius Thomas caught the ire of Broncos country with his drops, I'm kind of a little bit worried because Fant is probably going to have a few drops early in his career. It's something he's going to have to work on. But as far as the the toughness over the middle and his ability to catch and create after contact, you know, make guys miss, those are two things that I've seen harped about him. And I will say, you know, 
I do agree with Scott to a point where the making guys miss is a little bit overblown. Still, I would like to see Fant, you know, be a little bit more sudden and nuanced with the ball in his hand to make a guy miss. But when he has the speed that he had and the open field opportunities that he had, most of the time he's not going to have to make guys miss. He's just going to run past them. So not as concerned about that. But as far as the contested catchability, again, it really makes me think of O.J. Howard coming out of Alabama because everyone's like, oh, yeah, he's he's pretty, pretty decent blocker, bordering on good, could be great. And, you know, he's a good athlete. If you get the ball to him in space, he can do a lot of things, stretch the teams vertically. But is he a contested catch guy? Because they just never did that at Alabama. And that's something we saw at Iowa. I mean, they did not give him much opportunities to be a contested catch guy, which considering his size and his leaping ability was really head scratching. So that that's something, I mean, it's a projection at this point to say that he can be a, a really good contested catch guy. And with the windows being smaller in the NFL, he's going to have to, but it is reassuring to hear that it's more of a, something that we just don't know based on the tape as compared to, yes, this is a real concern for him. So that makes, I mean, since we're in the off season, we can, we can hope on that one a little bit. Right. Well, and I, I do think it's a little bit, like he said, there, there's some of those games where Noah Fant's not seeing a target until sometimes the fourth quarter. Yeah. That's kind and, of the nature of the tight end too, but at the same time, what are you doing? <laughs> right. But I, yeah, but I mean, when you have a weapon like Noah Fant, you're trying to design plays early on in a game to get him going. Yeah. And there's a lot of times we saw that with DT where if you didn't get him early involved in the game, he just never quite got things going. And, you know, when I look at his, his receptions for Noah Fant, I mean, 30 catches uh, in his two, 2017, 39 catches this last year. I, I just feel like he's one of those guys you should be getting 60 to 70 touches in some way, somehow with that kind of athleticism on the field. And I think if you can do that, sometimes just getting those extra targets, even if they're little screen passes, swing passes, comeback routes, whatever you want to do out there just to get him involved early. And maybe it is only a five yard play, but I feel like that can help a player really get more engaged and ready for the football coming at him. And for those big moments, I'm not saying that his drops aren't part of his game because they, they are, I mean, he is more of a body catcher than you would like. I talk about that all the time when I'm looking at receivers, are they a body catcher or are they a natural hands catcher? And he's not the most natural hands catcher. So I do expect that there's still going to be some drops. I, I really do. But it is something that he can improve on some. And like I said, if you can scheme him open, th- there's a lot that can happen with him on the field. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, a lot of stuff we've been talking about on here was hit on. I really do like that he also confirmed the Josie Jewell concerns. You know, everybody talking about pro football focus, great tool, but you know, it's just a part of the equation rather than being the answer when it comes to football analysis and Josie Jewell being really highly graded in pass coverage coming into the NFL draft. I think the highest rated linebacker in pass coverage. Well, to me that had a lot more to do with the scheme and what he was asked to do and what he more importantly, what he was asked not to do or what he wasn't asked to do and coming into Denver did not love that scheme fit being more man, having to cover guys, trail guys. That's just, that's not his game, but moving to more zone system, there's some untapped potential there, at least as far as the pros go. So excited to see that and glad to hear that he, you know, just hammered home that point. Right. And, and I, and then on the Vic Fangio that he really is that guy that brings that kind of discipline. I I was watching something earlier today. uh, I think Denver Broncos.com put it out of the, the Baltimore game 
Broncos had 120 yards and penalties. There was that huge play where they, they blocked the kick and Chris Harris runs it back for a touchdown. And there's a stupid penalty that on a player that didn't even really be involved in the play. I mean, Chris Harris is already running for a touchdown and a player comes up and, and hits another player in the back uncalled for. But you look at that and you just say, that's why the Broncos are that. I mean, that's why they've lost two years in a row that they've had losing records. Those stupid decisions of stupid, it just, it irritates you. And so to know that you're having a coach that comes in and demands that these guys pay attention to those little details that they you know, eliminate those kind of stupid mistakes. I mean, that, that's seven points off the board. Yeah. And then when most games are decided by seven points or less, that's a game decider. And, and like you even look at the impact of the, the momentum in the moment. I mean, there's just so many things that happen with that. And so to know coming to the Broncos is a, a coach that really demands uh, the best out of the players. I, I'm excited to see that from Fangio. Yep, absolutely. Well, that's going to wrap up this episode of Building the Broncos podcast, powered by Overtime Media. Thanks to Scott Docterman again for joining us today to talk the new Denver Bronco tight end, Noah Fant, as well as Josie Jula and Vic Fangio. And make sure you follow Scott on Twitter at Scott Docterman. That's D-O-C-H-T-E-R-M-A-N and his work over at The Athletic covering the Iowa Hawkeyes. You can find Carl on Twitter at Carl Dumbler MHH and myself at Kendall MHH. Also, make sure you head on over to Mile High Huddle, an affiliate of 24-7 Sports and CBS Sports Digital, to find more content covering the Denver Broncos. Head on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and a comment, as your support can help us continue to bring you our Denver Bronco deep dives. You can follow the Building the Broncos podcast and all our other great audio content by subscribing to the Huddle Up podcast wherever you listen to your shows. You can follow us on Twitter at Mile High Huddle and at BTB Football Pod. For Carl and Scott, I'm Nick wrapping up another episode of Building the Broncos podcast. We hope you enjoyed it, and we will see you guys soon. Go Broncos! You've been listening to Building the Broncos. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.